I'm reminded of those who endeavored to create clothing out of duct tape, as we thought about. It's very interesting entering into a community. Um, research, research shows that it takes, we were talking about this actually this morning, it takes about uh, seven years for a congregation to trust a pastor. That got more of a reaction than... <laughs> now I'm rethinking everything. No. It takes about seven years for a, a congregation to trust a pastor. And interestingly enough, it, the average pastoral tenure in America is right around three and a half years anymore. Um, and it, it's difficult because one of the things that we're charged with as pastors in, in preaching the Word is, you know, helping the congregation to become, and first of all, ourselves. Let me, let me say that making ourselves become more Christ-like, but then helping a congregation to become more Christ-like as well. And of course, we know that it's difficult to, to do that outside of relationship. And so as we've talked about the vision rollout and as the elders have, have talked about that vision, to talking about expanding Christ's community through uh, worship, discipleship, and relationship, it, it may mean pressing a little harder than the relationship is ready for, and so I, I approach this week's text with a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of trepidation, um, because you know, in even in ten months, you can start to see the character of an area. You can start to see the character of a particular congregation of a group, and so I might be pushing on something today. And so, just bear with me, because it's it's all in love, um, and it's uh, and I'm just as nervous about it as you are, I suppose. So now that I've totally freaked you out, why don't we talk about scripture? <laughs> um, but. Last week we talked about what it means to be in relationship as the community, as the people of God, to, to strengthen our relationships, to be defined not by the works of the flesh, the, 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 uh, that laundry list that Paul gives in Galatians 5, but to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. And that, that alone, you know, it, it, it makes us have to react in some sort of way. But the question I want to deal with, last week it was dealing with our relationships within the congregation. This week I want to talk about how do we interact with the broader body of Christ? What does our vision mean for how we interact with other Christians? How do we interact with other denominations? How do we interact with other uh, non-denominations, other, other churches in our area? And, and that also will go toward the broader witness in terms of, of representing Christ in our community and expanding Christ's community. And so we want to take a look at that, and to do that, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles there, uh, go ahead and open them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start, I believe, in verse 12. Um, yes, we are. Uh, we're starting in verse 12 there of... 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Just a little bit of background as you're finding your page there. Uh, the Corinthian church, man, I would have loved to have seen them. They were a church with some problems. Corinth was a port town. And I don't mean that just geographically. Like they, if, if there is a stereotypical 
seaside sailor town, Corinth was it. In fact, it's the only place in all of the, the Paul's letters that he says, listen, even non-believers think this is weird. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you guys have some problems there. So Paul is dealing with a whole host of issues, and some of that has to do with uh, the relationships within the body of Christ. And that's going to help shed light because, of course, uh, the early church did not have denominations, so we have to extrapolate out just a little bit. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, we're going to go through 26. Uh, Follow along with me as I read. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is God's Word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, help us to approach Your Word expectantly. Help us to not be afraid of those things that that we don't understand, of the, the phrases that just seem to be like a twisted knot that we can't untie. But help us to understand how You would have us to live as Your people in our own time, in our own location here. Help us to understand what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church and how that applies to our lives. Help us to see your heart for this creation, for this world, and for each of us. Lord, strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we dive into Paul's letter here to the Corinthians, I want you to hear throughout this that unity is a defining characteristic of Christ's church. 
Last week, we talked about that in terms of just relationship as a primary product of the gospel. And part of what that means is that there is unity in the body of Christ. So unity is a defining characteristic of the body of Jesus Christ. As we talk about that, though, it's very easy because we can conflate in our brains, we can conflate the idea of unity and uniformity. And so what I want to tease out here is that, that unity is an essential part of the gospel, but uniformity it does not necessarily follow. It doesn't, in fact, follow. And so as we talk about that, uh, let's talk, first of all, about the unity that Paul talks about. It is impossible to get through Paul, for all the things that he says, it's impossible to get through Paul and not talk about unity. He talks at length about the body of Christ. He, he prays in different letters for the unity of the church. He wants us to be one in Christ. He calls us to be singular in Christ. And so I wonder what Paul would say about denominations. Ever think about that? What would Jesus or Paul think about denominations we sit as a denominational church, perhaps more because of our, our history and DNA than, than conscious choice at times. But what would they say about it? You know, we are meant to be, and Jesus prayed, uh, we've referenced John 17 a few times, we've mentioned it in the, the podcast this past week, but Jesus has prayed for us that we would be one just as he and the Father are, are one, and that we would be one with them. That's an amazing thought. That's a, that's a powerful vision of the church. And I think part of the reason that that is a powerful vision of the church is because our experience of the church and our experience of, of the community of God has not been one of unity. Perhaps at times we know the 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 character of the church to be a little bit more divisive, a little bit more, um, a little more, bit more divided than other places in our lives. And I'm not necessarily talking about us right now. After I gave you that preface, uh, that preface, but the general character of the church is a lot more territorial than what Paul and Jesus give as the vision for who we are to be. One of the first things that I learned uh, when I went to Rock Island uh, eight, however many years ago, wasn't a math major, doesn't matter. Uh, I, but one of the first things that I learned was who was in control of the kitchen. I learned the rules of the kitchen very, very quickly. I was not to go near that kitchen unless I wanted that to be the world's shortest pastorate. There was a long history with the kitchen and who, who controlled the kitchen. Actually, a dear lady who, who I had to do the funeral form, who they nicknamed the general. I loved Gladys. I really did. But we have those sorts of experiences where, oop, this is one person's territory, this is another person's territory, this, is, this person has been doing this job since the flood. <laughs> Do not mess with that person's job. All glory be to Christ, and all persons stay away from that. You know, we have a, a particular 
experience of the church, and as I mentioned last week in, in the podcast, the, the data actually backs that up, that we're pretty territorial as churches. We're pretty uh, siloed as churches. And what Paul here talks about is this unity of the body. The fact that, that the body is made up of all of these different parts. And that it's all these different parts that comprise the body. You know, we don't think about the division of our the, the division of labor in our body very often. Doctors, nurses, you have to think about that. But most of us just go through our day saying, I feel fine or I don't feel fine. We don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to work on my neurological system today. <laughs> well, maybe we do. We don't wake up and say, you know what, today is my day for, to, to really hone in on my cardiovascular system. We don't do that. We operate as an integrated whole. I'm not thinking about my breathing. I'm not thinking about my circulation. I'm not thinking about uh, what I need to do to make sure that I balance on these steps. I know so eight years of ministry, I have had more comments about the fact that I stand on steps with my toes off the front of the step. But honestly, I don't think about it. We operate as integrated wholes. And if you go into the medical field, what we find is that our bodies operate as integrated, as an entire integrated system. That is, you know, when one part of our body is injured, it affects the other parts. You know, one of the things that I've sadly learned being around uh, people who have gone into the hospital is oftentimes uh, if they go in for lung trouble, I wonder about their heart. Because I've, I've learned over time that the pattern is if the lungs are having trouble, the heart is somehow weak. And so our bodies work as an integrated whole, and Paul is drawing on this even, even in his own way to say, to say that we are to be a singular body. We are to be a unified whole. And even in Corinth, within the church there, they were struggling with that. And we, we dealt a little bit with that last week in saying that our relationships should be a representation of Christ. The way that we connect with one another here as a singular body of Christ witnesses to who Jesus Christ is. But what about the other churches in our area? We, we live in an area that has actually a fair number of churches. We live in an area that has, you know, a, a great diversity. And I know that in our history, we're probably one of the, the older ones, not the oldest. Uh, here's looking at you, Plains. But we occupy a space that, that for this community, has a decent amount of age. And so, how do we play with some of these newcomers and some of the, the older congregations, and what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ in Cranberry Township? Well, we want to recognize, because very interestingly, as I've, I've, I've been here and as I've learned some of the, the quirks, some of the ins and outs, and learned that until they got things opened, you know, avoid Freedom Road and, you know, things like that, one of the things that, that I've learned is there's very much an awareness of the other churches in our conscience. 
in our, in our uh, consciousness. Thank you. I've heard a lot about the other churches. I've heard about victory. I've heard about grace. I've heard about Dutil. I've heard a little bit about St. Ferd's. But there's an awareness of the other congregations, and it's very interesting. There's awareness of the size of the other congregations as well. And one of the things that, that I've noticed in serving Presbyterian churches is we, we, have, uh, we have size complexes and we have what I would call edifice complexes. We're interested in other churches, other churches' size and other churches' buildings. And, and it's interesting because it produces this, this very strange sense of identity where, where we're okay except when we start thinking about those other churches. And then we start becoming like Israel back before they had a king. Give us a king such as the other nations have, and we start to fall into that envy. I think that's a bit natural in our fallen state. We think a lot in, uh, as not just as corporate, a corporate church, but as individuals about others, and we envy others. Boy, I wish I could, I wish I could uh, uh, you know, preach like some other pastors. I wish I could lead like some other leaders I know. I wish I could, you know, uh, I wish I could organize my time. I wish I could, we have those individual proclivities, but then as a group, we start worrying about our place in the body of Christ. And we start envying, and we start having some, some feelings about other churches, and yet what Paul, I think what Paul is saying here is that, that our, because of course there was one church, largely, in Paul's day. I think what Paul is saying is that we have to remember that we are on the same team. We are on the, the same page. We may look different. We may have different functions. May, we may have different skills. But we are one team serving one Lord brought in to the faith by one Spirit. For the past eight weeks or so, I have had the absolute joy of going on to the, to the, um, onto the ice with Cameron because uh, he wanted me to help coach their, their learn-to-play ho- learn hockey. Uh, and so I was a, I was a, a very assistant coach. <laughs> for the past eight weeks. And uh, this past week, we were getting the kids to have a scrimmage, and, and some of the younger ones, bless their hearts, as they'd say in the South. One boy who got the puck and started headed in the wrong direction towards the wrong goal, and you go, oh, you're, sp- the, uh, uh. other coach and I just looked at each other and said, all right, well, all right, that's that. They're not sure that they, they don't have this sense of being on the same team as the other people with the same colored shirt as them. They forget that they're trying to get it into the goal with, the, 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 uh, with someone with an opposite colored shirt as them. And for kids, that's just innocent. That's learning what's going on. For us, do we understand that we are on the same team? We can get envious. We can, get, we can start to say, well, we do things this way and we do things this way. 
But Christ's hope, Christ's vision for the church and Christ's design for the church is not that we would be each in our little thing infighting, but that we would be working towards one goal, one mission, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is in all and through all, with all. Do we see other congregations as people who are in the same boat as us, as people who are working towards the same end as us, who love the same Lord as us? Because I think that makes a a massive difference in the way that we approach our particular call to the ministry. And yes, we each have a call as a believer of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to minister. We ordain pastors to specific roles within the church, but we each have a role to minister the gospel to those around us. But we have to be united in that. We have to recognize that we are on the same team. We have to recognize we're pulling for the same thing. And when someone starts going towards the other goal saying, oop, let me help redirect you. There's to be unity within the church. Unity within the people of God. But that doesn't take away, uh, that doesn't take away individual skills, individual gifts. We don't have uniformity. Not, not everyone is given uh, one gift or another. Paul talks about this, actually. He, he says, you know, the, the ridiculous idea that, you know, the, the body is not one giant eye, eyeball, The body is not one giant ear. If that were the case, what would we get done here? We use each of the parts of our body, even when we're speaking. We use our hands to emphasize points and to direct. And and there are nonverbal cues. There is not uniformity, and we each do it in a different way. Paul is saying that there are some people and there are some churches that have skills of teaching and and preaching and there are some that are really good at pastoral care and there are some that are really good at, at calling out the sins of a community and bringing people back into the faith and there are, and there are some that are are really good at explaining the faith and there are some that are really good at connecting the faith to to people who are not Christians. And what Paul says is, we need all of that. Too many times I think it, it too many times I think people walk into, not just uh, into any church, and think, would anyone notice if I'm gone? And what Paul says here is clearly that yes. We are missed, each of us, if we are not here, because each of us has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Each one of us is gifted by the Spirit to minister in a way that others cannot. We are here right now, and and this is uh, supposed to be my gifting in preaching, and, you know, again, however many candidates in the... Thanks, Mark. (laughs) But then... Each of you is to go out and to use your own specific gifts into your own areas because there is far more contact with the outside world on this side of the pulpit than on this side. 
there's for, far more opportunity to connect with the world on that side of the pulpit than on this side of the pulpit, and I'm not even standing on that side of the pulpit. And we each have different gifts, and they are each valued. Paul talks about that when he says, you know, the, the parts that seem weaker are actually indispensable. What he's saying is that, that it's not the flashy things, it's the, it's the quiet gifts. It's the gifts that we think, oh, you know, it's all right, we can deal without that. Paul is saying, no, we cannot deal without that. We cannot be the body of Christ because God has designed each of those gifts to come into the church and to strengthen it each in a unique way. We get caught off guard by the flashy. We get caught off guard by when someone can, can do something really, really well and we go, boy, I wish I had a skill like that. That's the splitter, as I've, I've talked about in, the, in prior sermons. That's the splitter trying to get us to be divided. If we don't get this right, if we don't get this right, if we don't see and, and cultivate and encourage, not just within the church, but among churches, the gifts that Jesus Christ has given then we send a message to the world that God is a kind of tribal. God is kind of territorial. He's okay with one part of his body being over here called one thing and one part over there called that thing, and never the twain shall meet. Or worse yet, that, that God delights in division. God doesn't delight in division. God delights in seeing things brought to unity. The unity of the triune God. A, a community of itself that is for all eternity existing in peace, in love, in wholeness. And he invites us into that. And it's not just us. I've, you know, over the time, you know, in my time in Illinois, main lines love to beat up on the non-denoms. I was a part of, I was a part of a, uh, of a Protestant uh, mainline clergy group. And the number of times that, that I would hear colleagues talk about non-denominational churches and the disparaging remarks made me sad. It made me say, you know, that's not, I don't think that's the God who I serve. I think the God we serve is, is using different people in different ways. Smaller churches like to beat up on larger churches. But we each have our gifts. Small churches do relationship far better than large churches ever could. Large churches do, do certain ministries like counseling far better than smaller churches ever could. And it goes to show that each of those parts goes to strengthen the body of Christ, the body that we are a part of. So you may be saying at this point, all right, so what's the takeaway? Is this a chastising? No, it's not. What I want us to do is to check ourselves. Check our understanding and our ideas and our attitudes towards the body of Christ. 
Because we can strengthen the relationships in here and still do damage to our witness if we do not have the correct relationship with other parts of the body of Christ. We want to to see what our thoughts are and then say, you know what, do I need to be brought in line with God's understanding of his church? Because if we, if we try to do this on our own, if we, if we don't have affection and love for the other parts of the body of Christ, then all we're really trying to do is to build our own little kingdom, aren't we? Our own church where we do things the right way and, and th- them, well, they can do things their way. We want to be a church that is defined by love of one another and love for the other parts of the body of Christ, to strengthen the relationships among churches, to learn from them, to be open. Jesus died so that his church could be one, so that his church could have the unity that he and the Father have. And the other thing that happens in this, if we, if we spend time, if our attitudes are a little bit abrasive towards other churches, if we harbor a little bit of envy or, or a little bit of, of, uh, uh, of bitterness, if we harbor any of that, we expend valuable resources, our time, our thoughts, our, our very souls, in the way that we treat the other parts of the body of Christ. And a lot of, I've seen a lot of energy expended in that way. A lot of energy expended in that way. God has given different gifts to his church, both within this congregation and outside of this congregation. It's like when, when a child goes through adolescence, we want to teach them to be comfortable in their own skin. It's a hard thing. But the church, too, has to be comfortable in its own skin. We want to, like, like Paul is describing here, live into and celebrate the different gifts that have been given to us. And we are a wonderfully gifted congregation. I was reading some of the history just this week. We have had so many gifts. There is enough in the body of Christ. We don't have to, to kick and scrape for our own spot, but we can be a body that overflows in generosity, that is known to encourage and to build up, that is known for its love of one another and love of other Christians and its love for the outside world, which we'll talk about next week. But this is an outworking of the gospel. Unity in the body of Christ is a working of the gospel. Is that something that, that we can put our hearts and our souls into? My prayer is that it is. It is so life-giving. And it's such a delightful place to be when we can, can cheer on and encourage other parts of the body of Christ and love our own as well. It's not an either-or, it is a both-and that provides life and joy and speaks well of our Lord and our Savior. 
I hope you hear this in love and, and hear this in, in the, the coming from a place of loving Christ's church as well. As, as flawed and as broken as we are as the people of God, somehow Christ has seen it fit to extend his mission through each and every one of us. And any one of us who is missing is a loss to the body of Christ. Your presence is essential. And our love will show the world who Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord, in thinking of the fact that you emptied yourself of all your glory, you could have stayed on your eternal throne where the angels give you glory, where where your will is done in perfection. But instead, you emptied yourselves and you yourself, and you you came here so that we could know life. Not life as we know it, broken and difficult and, and, and disappointing and, and just hard. But life overflowing, life abundant. So help us. Help us to, to relate to one another in ways that you have shown us. Lord, you welcomed all who came to you. You were full of of grace, yet you were also full of truth. We struggle to do that within our own congregation and, and with other believers. But help us to look to you to be strengthened and to to love one another as you loved us. You came in the midst of of our difficulty. You came in the midst of our sin. And you took that on yourself and you went to the cross and you buried it. Greater love has nothing except for that. So help us, Lord. Give us affection for your body. Give us a love for this world as you love it. In all this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.